happy 25th day of Kislev. Started last night at sundown. They lit the first candles of Hanukkah. And uh, I had the privilege of uh, playing in the band Saturday morning for the Messianic service here yesterday morning. And we talked about Hanukkah. And, uh, and, and it was uh, uh, Dr. Stephen Gare, uh, who uh, was our speaker for the day, a wonderful uh, um, man of God. He's a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, by the way. And he's helping us out with our church plant. And, man, we're excited about that, aren't we, guys? That we're here, uh, uh, did a beautiful job talking about Christ in the Hanukkah. You know, if you've ever seen the menorah, the ones that they use for this celebration, there are eight candles, four on each side, and in the center candle is always elevated a little above the other candles, and it's used to light the other candles of Hanukkah, and it's called the Shamish candle. It's called the servant candle. Isn't that interesting? That's how Christ came as a servant. And we're going to look at an Isaiah passage today. And Isaiah is the prophet that helps us to understand the suffering servant that Jesus was to be. And, uh, and, and so you light that, that center candle becomes the candle with which you light the Hanukkah candles. And uh, it was interesting, Dr. Gare talked about the Hanukkah the, the menorah being a symbol of the church, since there's no longer a temple, and the Hanukkah celebration was about the dedication of the temple in 164 B.C., celebrated several centuries before Christ, death on a cross for us. We talked about the where is the temple of God now? It's in us. We are the temple. And so Dr. Gare said, interesting that you have on one side of the menorah, you have this Jewish side, and on the other side, you have this Gentile side. And Christ, between them, unites his church as the suffering servant for us. Well, that was a cool deal. Man, I enjoyed uh, getting a lesson in, uh, in my, from my Jewish brethren yesterday. And uh, there's a lot going on. Now, you may have noticed that... Um, um, Where's the band? Yeah. Guys, I don't know if you know this. There is one member of Willow Bend that is here more Sundays than all the rest of us, including the pastor. There is one guy that is more faithful to attendance at this church than any of the rest of us. His name's Dave Woods. Dave Woods' brother died suddenly this week. And uh, and so Dave went to be with the family. And so we would just ask that you pray for Dave because, quite honestly, you know, Dave's just a, he's a single guy and we are his family. You know, Dave never, he gets here early every Sunday morning. He's one of the first ones here. And Dave is one of the last ones to leave because he stands around and just talks and visits. Because this, this is his family. So would you pray for Dave Woods and you pray for his family and the loss of their brother. But in his absence, uh, Chris Berg was going to be gone. And so we decided to give the band a day off except for, you know, going to make Chris play a little keyboard. You know, and, uh, and Jeremy and Christy were here. 
And thanks, guys. Wonderful job, wonderful songs this morning. Uh, there's something else we got to celebrate. Last night, uh, we had a WB Kids had a pajama party. We had a oodle of kids here last night. And, and uh, it, was the, it was the WB Kids' way of serving parents to let them drop off their kids uh, at 6 p.m. last night and go shop till they, you know, till they almost dropped at 9 o'clock and then come pick your kids up. And, or they could, you know, go out to have dinner or whatever they wanted to do. And I just, I'm so grateful, uh, Susan and the WD, WB workforce for, uh, for the desire to serve because that's what we're about, right? Living scent. And the S is for serving. And they did that last night. It was so beautiful to see that. Uh, I got to run it through. They were doing some kind of a game where the kids were popping balloons. I don't know uh, what they were doing last night. And also, uh, Daryl and Desiree Bai opened up their house and they had the big uh, CR party last night. And there was a ton of food and I ate uh, about three quarters of a ton myself last night. And, uh, and, uh, but there were plenty of others that could handle uh, the food. So, um, but we had a great time over at Daryl and Desiree Bias last night as well. So there's a, there's a lot going on and there's a lot coming, uh, coming our way. And, uh, so, uh, anyway, um, let's pray together before we read our text. So Father, we just uh, commit this time to you and ask that as we open your word, God, that you would have that through your spirit, the freedom to speak and to engage every heart in this room. Thank you for this season of the year because it calls us to the place of simplicity and the place of listening, to a place of joy, to a place of hope, to a place of connection with you, with family, with one another. And so, Father, we just uh, we offer worship and gratitude to your plan, for your plan, as revealed to us in your beautiful Son and his coming and his taking flesh and his walking amongst us. So Holy Spirit, be amongst us as we engage in your word this hour is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, the place was uh, furnished, but it, it wasn't much. Um, it was a little farmhouse located next door to the church, and uh, and um, and they call it a parsonage. And when I was in seminary, um, Bart and Janice did what a lot of of young couples trying to go through seminary did. They took these small weekend churches. And the way that would work is Friday, they'd go to class on Tuesday through Friday. And then Friday afternoon, they'd load up the car and they'd drive to like Oklahoma somewhere or West Texas and into some small church. And they'd spend the weekend, you know, trying to pastor a small congregation. And then, then Monday morning, they'd head back into seminary and get ready for another week of class. And so Bart and Janice had done that, and uh, and but the parsonage, you see, um, it, it was just an old house, and uh, and so they discovered the porch light uh, didn't work anymore, and so when you walked in the house, you had to find the middle of the room because there was the light was on a pull chain in the middle of the room, and uh, that was a um, bit, a little bit of a challenge on a very dark night, and this particular night. The church had determined that they were going to give Bart and Janice a little, a little, uh, 
a little housewarming, a little pounding, you know, put some groceries in the pantry for the new pastor and his wife. And so so here's Bart and Janice. Uh, they don't know it, but while they're being distracted after the Sunday night service, the whole church is packing in to this little parsonage and hiding in the dark. You get in the picture? And so here come... Finally, Bart and Janice, and, and Bart's leading the way into the room, and he's, he's you know, trying to find the pull chain, and he, 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 his shin collides with the coffee table, and he says, where's that blankety-blank pull chain? <laughs> and then he says, there's that son of a... <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> Everyone yells. Trust me, everyone was surprised <laughs> when the light came on. And there was plenty of light to see Bart turn five shades of red. Our text is about the light. And what do we do when the light comes on? Isaiah 9, Beth read it well, beautifully. A few moments ago, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish because in the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea and the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations or Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walked in darkness, who stumbled in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwell in the land of deep and dark and deep darkness on them has light shone. So what's the meaning of Christmas? What does it all mean? Folks, we've made it about ourselves, haven't we? And Madison Avenue works overtime this season of the year to reinforce that idea. For most Americans, it's the time, it's the time when we do open up our hearts to one another, at least for a little while. And we talk about peace on earth and goodwill toward men, toward other people. And sometimes that even means during Christmas, people that maybe are a little bit different from us. <laughs> we want to stretch it just a little. <laughs> After all, we've sort of, in our culture, made it about sort of getting along with each other. And, and being nice to each other, except on Black Friday, then we stomp each other, man, you know. But the rest of the time, we just, can't we just all kind of get along and join hands and make the world a better place so as not to offend in the elementary school Christmas program? There won't be any songs this year about baby Jesus because that might offend. You see, some of us around here might remember years ago, I do. The Live Aid concerts. Do you remember that? 
there was this plethora of musical artists and stars, you know, that were you know, they were on this program during this time of, of of great distress for farm communities in this country, and and so you know all these musical stars loaded up the stage, and at the end of the show with Stevie Wonder on the piano, and and they had all had arms around each other, and they were swaying to the music, and they were singing, "We are the world," right? Remember, yeah. we are the people, right? What were the words? We are the ones who make a better day, so let's start giving, right? I mean, that's kind of the theme. That's how most people kind of look at Christmas. Interestingly enough, you know, at the big close of that show, if you were watching, you know, that farm aid deal, Not everybody on stage was looking very comfortable. Bob Dylan was up on stage, and he was looking out of place. And so when the concert was over, a reporter grabbed Bob Dylan and said, Hey, Bob, what were you thinking up there? And he made it really clear. He said soberly, Yes, I was uncomfortable for one reason, because humankind cannot save itself. That's the message of Christmas. Bob Dylan got it. That humankind cannot save itself. That's the message. The world is in need of a Savior. And you'll notice in Isaiah chapter 9 that the very first verse of chapter 9 starts with a conjunction, with a but. Probably one of the most famous sermons it will have been church is the Chris LaRue sermon about the holy but. Because anytime you see a but, you've got to go back and read what's in front of it. You, I mean, you've got to pay attention. It's a, it's a nevertheless in there. That's the first verse. Nevertheless. Isaiah says. And so we really have to go back and read the end of chapter 8 to begin to have a sense for what's really going on when we start chapter 9. So will you go there with me for a moment? Let's read the last two verses of chapter 8. And they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged. They'll get angry. And they will speak contempt contemptuously against their king, against their government, and against their God, and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Thick Darkness, the conditions you see are not that dissimilar to what was going on during all those live aid, those farm aid concerts. There was famine in the land, crop failures, family farms were going under, there were foreclosures everywhere, economic uncertainty and distress, social and political turmoil, there was emotional and relational stress, tearing families apart, there was gloom, there was depression, the people had lost faith. 
And they were becoming angry, not only with the government, but with the king. But they were shaking their fist toward God. And they were seeking out the mystics, the seers, the, the wise intellectuals, and the, they were consorting with fortune tellers and spiritualists, even trying to make contact with the dead, it says at the end of chapter 8. Now, does any of that sound familiar? Is any of that distress? Any of that anxiety? Is any of that darkness with us today? It's gone totally dark, Isaiah says. Thick darkness. Okay, so now, all right, so I want us to experience that, okay? Okay, so you ready? Ready? Okay. Little countdown. Three, two, one. I'm going to jump down here and blow out the candles. Uncertainty. Ever feel the fear? Understand why they would grasp at anything? They needed to know. But the more they relied upon Earthly things. Earthly wisdom. The ways of man, the thicker the darkness. And then Isaiah said that a light will come. guys this text 
this text teaches us two things. Number one, that the world is a dark place. It's a dark place. You see, before we can get to the hope, we have to deal with the message about our lives. That for many of us is a sobering and an insulting kind of thing. Let Bart's lesson be a lesson for us all. Jesus, Isaiah says, will shine so bright. Will shine so bright because the world is such a dark place. You see, the world understands its problems. It's analyzing them all the time and carefully. And we're maneuvering and we're negotiating. But if we're left to ourselves, we find no lasting solutions. Look at the world. Look at the cycle. Are we better off listening to the wisdom of the world? And then there's the Christian community. We try to make Christmas all sentimental and nostalgic. Like the good old days. While the true meaning of Christmas is anything but sentimental and nostalgic. We drive around looking at the pretty Christmas lights and displays. And believe me, I'm into that too. But Christmas is about one true source of light. There is, Isaiah said, one true source of light. And if you're a believer, if you're a Christ follower, then Christmas is your nevertheless. You're nevertheless. You can never again be without hope, without illumination in a dark world. But that's the first lesson. The world is a dark place. And here's the second lesson. That God's light comes to us in a most unlikely and unexpected way. And this only adds to the hope that we experience. Because He still shows up in unlikely places and in unlikely ways. This is what's weird about the story. You get it? Read verse 1 again. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish in the former time. He brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, in the future, you see, he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. That's the weird thing. That God sent his son 
according to Isaiah through Galilee. Galilee, you see, was despised. Especially Nazareth. It was a little small town, Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. And the common saying of that time was, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It was a Roman military outpost with all of the trappings that go with that. There are a lot of people who would be embarrassed for you to know that you grew up in some itty-bitty little town. Right? Because movers and shakers, the brightest and the best, don't come from Podunkville, Oklahoma, or somewhere else. I thought about that last week. I'm, I'm, I went to see my grandson in, in south-central Missouri, and I had to drive from Kansas City, rent a car and drive from Kansas City down to Roach, Missouri. How'd you like to be from Roach, Missouri? That's a lovely little place. There's not much there but a little tiny post office. But the town I really liked when I drove through was Tightwad, Missouri. <laughs> they have a bank there that's called Tightwad National Bank. I wonder if you can get a loan there. You know, and then there was the, the Tightwad uh, Library. I don't think they have any books. They won't spend any money on that kind of stuff. You know, uh, you know, I mean, Nazareth was that kind of place. It was just scorned. It was, uh, it was, you know, you bring up Nazareth and you'd get a sneer. Like, are you kidding me? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Are you seeing this? God comes to us in the most unlikely and unexpected ways. A despised little town where he grew up. You see, the way God did it, he sent his only begotten son to come to us as a little baby born to poverty, impoverished parents with a mom whose reputation had already been tarnished. She was seen in her own village as an unwed mother and and he was laid in a feed trough and he was raised in Galilee of the Gentiles and grew up in a little podunk town called Nazareth. And and then the only invited guests to his birthday party were shepherds. Think about it. The most despised of all vocations in all of Israel in that day. They were the bottom dregs of society. They were so despised, get this, that the testimony of a shepherd was inadmissible in any court in Judaism. And these are the very ones that God chooses to bear testimony about the birth of his son. Are you getting this? When God shows up, He shows up in unexpected, unusual kinds of ways. That's what Isaiah is saying. God has a plan. He's going to use Galilee of the Gentiles. That region, if Zebulun, if Tali, where Nazareth is. 
Paul said it well. God has confounded the wisdom of the world. God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, the weak things to shame the strong. And that's the message of Christmas. The world is a dark place. But the light has come and has pierced the darkness. And when God does it, He does it in the most unlikely and unexpected ways. Okay. Three quick application questions. All right, this morning, based on the reading of Isaiah 9, is there any one or any situation that you can think of that is without hope? No. No, because the light has come. So there is no situation that is hopeless. Number two, based on our reading of Isaiah, how would you expect God to show up in your life? Could it possibly be, or maybe better yet, is it more probable that He's going to show up in a way that you might not expect at a time when you might not be really looking for Him? There's a third thought. If you and I are to become true followers of this Jesus, this man of Nazareth, this man of Galilee from the Gentiles, how do you expect the world to treat you? With a lot of respect? Or are they going to think that you're some kind of a fool, some kind of religious nut? You willing to take that risk? I want to close with the first few sentences or paragraphs of John's letter, First John. And I would just invite you, there might be someone within hearing of my voice this morning that would be open. Maybe God has been speaking to you in ways you didn't expect. Through circumstances you could not have contrived. Maybe even difficult circumstances in your life. But you find that He has illumined your darkness with His presence. And so maybe you would reach out and trust to Him today. You see, the way you do that is you own the darkness, your own personal darkness. The darkness that's in your space. You own that. You see, because you've made a contribution to the world of darkness that is your own. And so John encourages us, embrace that darkness and confess your need of this Savior. Because after all, you cannot save yourself. That's the Christmas story. So listen to what John says. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, 
which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it. And we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that that out of that our joy may be complete. This is the message that we've heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus the Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin. If we are unwilling to own the darkness. We deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins. He is faithful and just. To forgive. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Bow your heads, please. This is the simple meaning of Christmas. The simplest message of the gospel. That without Christ... You and I are in a world of darkness. And we are without hope in this world. No matter what we try to stuff into our lives, no matter what earthly wisdom we seek, there is one true source of light. And this morning, there may be someone who in the quietness of your own heart would be willing very simply To own that darkness that is yours, that is your part. Of this dark world. And you would say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I know darkness. But today, I believe the message. That your son is the true light. And so I embrace that light. I open my life to Jesus Christ. Who loved me and shed his blood for me. That I might be forgiven. If that's your prayer, then in the quietness of your heart, express that. The attitude of the heart, 
the readiness of the heart is so much more important than having the exact kinds of words. It's just simply surrendering to the light. Taking those first steps toward the Son, the Son of God. And receiving His forgiveness and His grace. Father, use this moment I thank you that you show up in unusual and unexpected ways. And I trust there may be someone here this morning who really didn't expect you to reveal yourself, for you to make yourself known, for you to make the message simple, clear, and plain. But I pray, I pray you would give us enough strength to take the first step of faith. And for some of us, Father, don't let Christmas be a time that we just get sentimental and nostalgic. But Father, let us as believers be unapologetic that your light has shined into our lives, that your light has transformed us that we now walk in guidance, that we can see our way, that the darkness, the darkness has been dealt with, you know, through the, the saving work of Christ, and that we now stand before you. Forgiven. Restored and complete. Let us own the message that the light has come. That it's, that it's real in us. In Jesus' name, amen.